Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Please don't go. I need you so I... everyone, and welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the podcast about finding joy through feminism and living your best feminist life. My guest today is Dr. Lauren Krigler. She's a physical therapist who specializes generally in pelvic health and specifically in helping address pelvic health issues that can lead to pain during vaginal intercourse and penetration. And this is an issue that does not get the attention it deserves, as Lauren is well aware And she's on a mission to change that. She believes that life would be so much better for so many couples and women and all people who have vaginas if we all understood more about the power of the pelvic floor and about the power we have to change how it functions. I'm going to share with you as much of my interview with Lauren as I can fit into approximately 30 minutes. But before I do, a couple of notes about language and gender. Lauren's practice is focused largely on helping alleviate pain during vaginal penetration. And during this conversation, we're shorthanding this by calling it, quote unquote, painful sex with the caveat that, of course, sex can refer to all kinds of different activities. And while all of Lauren's clients identify as women, this is an issue that can affect people of all genders who have vaginas. So not just women. And we will talk about that a little bit later in the show as well. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lauren Krigler with a few interjections from me along the way. Welcome to Feminist Hot Dog. Thank you so much for being here with me on this Sunday morning. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So a little background, Lauren and I met at the She Podcasts. Actually, it was like at the opening reception, I think. Yes. If I remember correctly. And hit it off. And when I found out what you did for a living, I knew that I had to have you on the podcast because I've never met anyone who works in the medical field as a pelvic health specialist. And I can tell you from having done this show for a couple of seasons now that I get so many comments about health issues and particularly reproductive health and vaginal health and pelvic health. And feeling like that's an area where there's a real lack and a real need. And I think that that is definitely a feminist issue. So I'm so excited that you are willing to come on and chat today. So just to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about how did you come to practice in this field and your background? What led you to focus on treating people who have pain with sex? I went to physical therapy school and that's like a postgraduate program. I have a doctorate in physical therapy. And I went into that thinking I would treat orthopedics. Like I think probably a lot of people go into physical therapy school thinking that. And then you realize that there's other related fields like neuroscience that you can get into or geriatrics. And there's pelvic health is just an option in physical therapy. And really very little time is spent in the general physical therapy program talking about pelvic health, but we had a few lectures on it. And then I connected with those lecturers because 
it was really interesting to me. And they kind of gave me some more topics and, you know, things that I might want to look into, like chronic pelvic pain, incontinence, constipation, which is actually um, hugely related to pelvic problems. And I started talking to women about their pelvic health. And that's what really tipped it off. I talked to women who were my age, which was mid 20s at the time. And you know, people that were much, much older, 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s. And no matter what age people were, I mean, almost everyone had a little bit of something to talk about. And I was like, wow, all these women have problems. And then I looked back at, well, who's treating these problems? And is it effective? And a lot of the traditional medical treatments are you know, touch and go as far as efficacy and physical therapy was really working well, but there weren't a lot of people practicing it. And so I kind of, you know, I saw this extreme need and a lack of people treating it. And I felt comfortable talking about the pelvis, which is kind of unusual because I certainly didn't come from a family that you know, talked about the pelvis a lot, but it felt like it just felt right. You know, it felt like I had really found my, my niche. And so I, pursued that. And it has been, it's been an amazing career. I love it more and more every year. When you were talking to me about it, I definitely got that sense that you had like found your calling. And this was something that you not only really enjoyed as a practitioner, but that you felt was really important from kind of an empowerment point of view, from a patient advocacy point of view, that people who experience issues with their pelvises, is it, is pelvises the plural of pelvis. I re- I don't even know that. Oh Is my it gosh. Pelvi? I think it's pelvises. Okay. <laughs> we'll go with pelvises. Since people only have one pelvis, it's, uh, you know, it's rare that we would talk about more than one in, the, in a sentence, but I'm pretty sure it's pelvises. So there's not like a, a, a multiple pelvis syndrome or something where you're born with two pelvises? I haven't heard of that. Well, good. Now that we've gotten that out of the way. So I, I just felt like you really had, you were kind of on a mission to help people understand this component of their health that we just don't really often think about when we're kind of pursuing our mainstream medical lives. Can you talk Mm -hmm. more about what sort of symptoms people experience? It's amazing. The range of interactions I get or or reactions I get when people say, you know, what do you do? And I say, well, I, I'm, you know, I usually start with, I'm a physical therapist, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. And then maybe depending on the conversation, delve a little deeper and say, you know, I treat women that are having pain with sex or have difficulty with pleasure with sex. People will have pain with superficial touch, like really light touch of the vulva. Some people have pain with initial penetration. So you're just trying to put it in at first. Some people don't have pain until it gets in really deep. And then some people only have pain in certain positions. And so those are the main things that I'm treating. And is this fairly common, would you say? So depending on the study, anywhere between 10 and 40% of women have pain with sex on a regular basis. And that's a really wide range. Most medical studies come in around 20% and medical studies have like these interesting qualifiers. And so they'll say, well, it's only if it's affecting function, does it count, right? So if she's still having sex, it doesn't count. They don't count her in the numbers. I just have to jump in here because I had a really strong reaction to this information and especially to the word function. 
Lauren made it clear that function is a clinical term and one that is actually pretty useful to physical therapists to draw distinctions between what a patient can and cannot do. But I couldn't get over how loaded it felt to my non-clinical brain. Like, function for what? For having a penis put inside you? Like, as long as you fulfill your quote-unquote function, it doesn't matter if it hurts, much less if it feels good? This is also part of why the numbers around painful vaginal intercourse are so different depending on who you ask. When you take the function criteria out of it, the percentage of people who have vaginal intercourse who report that the experience is painful for them jumps from 20 to closer to 40%. That's a huge difference and a huge number of people affected by this problem. What are some of the most common reasons people experience pain with sex? You do want to go to your OBGYN and rule out common problems like infection. You know, it could be yeast infection. It could be, you know, you want to rule out that you're having a, you know, not having a UTI, especially if you're having any trouble with urination. The other thing is hormonal changes. So there are certain states in a woman's life where she might have hormonal changes like during pregnancy, during breastfeeding and during menopause, breastfeeding and menopause, especially because those are low estrogen states. But most women, you know, are not going through, most women are not currently breastfeeding, you know? So, um, and you know, if you're premenopausal, then those aren't your issues. So the main issues that I see there are tightness of the pelvic floor muscles. That's a huge, huge problem. And that is something that we can affect with physical therapy dramatically. What are some of the consequences for people who suffer from pain with sex? Aside from the physical symptoms, what other outcomes do you see in your practice? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because I think that's something that most people don't think about. But there's a huge emotional consequence to not being able to have sex. So a lot of women I see have kind of disconnected from their bodies. I literally see people who talk about their bodies as if those parts are not part of them, you know, or they talk about their bodies in ways that like, I don't like this part of my body. And then I think there's a lot of decreased self-confidence, self-esteem that can come from not being able to perform what should be this basic function, you know, so it's like, "Ah, I can't even have sex, you know, or I can't even have sex without pain, or I can't have sex that feels good. What's wrong with me? Those sort of thoughts lead to low self-confidence, low self-esteem, and then depression is common. And the other thing is those are all um, within yourself, but then disconnecting from your partner, especially if you aren't talking about it and you aren't trying to get help. And so you're just in this state where, you know, your partner wants to have sex and you don't because it's uncomfortable or it's not pleasurable or it's painful, and then you're not doing anything about it. Well, that's not going to increase the connection that's going on with you and your partner. So do you find yourself sometimes playing almost like a talk therapy role? Like, is there sort of a psychological element to this that you find yourself having to engage in? when you're treating folks to kind of get them over the mental pieces of this? Yes. Yes. I find myself doing that all the time. And the longer I've been treating sexual issues, the more I'm doing it. And so I talk about it as in 
coaching. And I'm really careful to not be crossing this line into, you know, if you are really struggling with depression or with history of abuse or, you know, these issues that are really best suited for a mental health counselor, I'm really quick to tell people, you know, this is where you really need to go in conjunction with the therapy that we're doing. But for a lot of women, a lot of it is stress levels. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do just through being a really good coach and understanding and having talked to hundreds or thousands of women about sex and their issues that they're having. There's a lot that we can talk through. And the other side of that is communicating really well with your partner. And that's something that is so essential and almost no women are doing that. Mm. Um, And that's something that I'm very passionate about and is kind of my, I consider that to be one of my superpowers is communicating really well because I've been doing it for so long. And because of, you know, my husband, I have the advantage of having a husband who's an OBGYN. And so not only are we both talking about it a lot, but we both talk to other people about their pelvis and pain with sex and, you know, lack of orgasm and all these issues a lot. And so in the evening, um, to be a fly on the wall in our living room after our kids (laughs) go to bed, um, would be interesting for most people. (laughs) Lauren herself has experienced pain with sex both before and after she had children. And she's pretty transparent about that. I'm going to fast forward us to the part of our interview where she talks about some of the lesser known reasons her clients experience pain with sex and about her own experience. I think a lot of women think that if I'm talking to women who are having pain with sex, I must be talking to women who have had children. Like they think, you know, oh, the baby broke the vagina, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not true. The majority of women I talk to probably have had children, but that's just because many women have had children. I also talk to women that have never had children or they've had children, but I'll say, you know, when did pain with sex begin? And often they'll say, when I started having sex. A lot of people think that constipation is purely an issue that's happening in the gut, but constipation affects what's going on in your pelvic floor. So if you are having to push out your bowels a lot, that is damaging your pelvic floor. If you have a years of that going on, that is not good for your pelvic floor. That's a fantastic PSA to put out there right now. And what's going on in your pelvic floor. And what I, when I say pelvic floor, I mean the muscles in between your legs. So if those are constantly tight, it's going to lead to constipation. So the relationship works in both directions. So that was going on all of middle school, high school, and beyond. And then when I had my first attempts at sex, they were painful and they were uncomfortable and they certainly were not pleasurable. Like what? (laughs) That was sort of a letdown, right? And you're not really sure what to make of it because nowhere in my sex ed was I ever taught about how to make that feel good, if that even should feel good. It was just sort of, you know, anything about feel good, that might have come from, you know, general media input that was, you know, whispers in my ears, but that was not ever taught in sex ed. So yeah, you kind of just don't know what to make of it. You're like, oh, okay, that was that. And (laughs) I'm going to be doing this forever. But then after having my first baby, Yeah, the baby kind of did break the vagina for a little while. I had a lot of tearing and that 
led to different pelvic floor issues like urinary incontinence and pain with sex. And that didn't just go away on its own. That was something that I needed to treat. And so I had the huge advantage of having already treated women for a few years before I went through it myself. I was able to use all the techniques that I showed women and that I treated women with and taught my husband how to treat me physically and emotionally and with the communication aspect. So those are, you know, three things that I'm talking about a lot are your emotions, your, how you're communicating. And then of course the physical aspect of what you are physically going to be doing to me in order to treat me. That's what I taught my husband and to go through that experience with him and realize like, this can actually be an amazing process. Like the downside is yes, you have pain with sex and that, you know, that's not fun, (laughs) but the good side is you can be vulnerable with your husband. You can learn these techniques. You can bond and the way you're going to have to communicate very clearly about that, like, you know, half an inch to the left, you know, Mm -hmm. um, how much that can really improve your bond is kind of amazing. And so when I started talking about it like that and teaching people like that, that really changed my experience. So that was, you know, uh, nine years ago. Lauren told me that so far, all of the patients who have sought her out are cisgender women, and the majority of her clients are in heterosexual relationships. She has had quite a few lesbian clients, and she says they are some of the easiest patients to help as couples because they have the same anatomy, so it makes communicating a little less complicated. Lauren has received special training in working with transgender clients, which open her eyes to how far the medical community has to go when it comes to trans-inclusive healthcare. I think all medical professionals should receive training in how to care for transgendered people. It's hard for people to kind of wrap their head around it. Everything from just using, you know, pronouns that people assign to themselves to understanding that your body parts might be different and not every transgendered person would actually go through a physical change, you know, a surgical change or a medical change. It is really sad that in order to receive medical help, most transgendered people are going to have to educate their practitioners first. The reason I wanted to take a course on caring for transgendered people is because I did not want to be somebody that somebody would have to come in and first educate me on the basics of providing transgendered care and what those surgeries would look like. So I wanted to make sure that I understood the medical changes that can take place through medications and hormones and how that affects them and the surgical changes, the different surgical options so that if anybody ever came to me, I would be able to do that. And I always want to make sure that I am a safe place for people. Can you tell us what a session with you actually looks like? Like, What does this type of therapy involve on a sort of nuts and bolts level? I do a lot of coaching online and people are, are often curious about that. How do you coach somebody online with something that's so physical? Like, well, a lot of it is communicating, communicating with yourself about the problem, communicating with your partner about the problem. A lot of it is education and knowledge about your body and how your body should be working. A lot of it is correcting other pelvic floor issues like bowel and bladder. And so I talk about diet and, and, you know, we talk about, pee and poop and how is all that going, you know, and we correct any issues there. 
And then I do talk about the physical and the physical is something that even through, you know, I do video coaching, so I'll use diagrams and I'll do use models and teach people, well, this is how this muscle should work based on the, the symptoms that you're describing. It sounds like your muscle is doing this other, you know, work operating in a different way. So here's how you're going to change that. And then if they have a partner that's willing to help, here's what your partner can be doing. Because even when people come into my clinic, because I do have a brick and mortar um, clinic that people can come into, um, when they come in, if I'm showing their partner how to do something, I'm showing their partner on a model because I can show them the inside of a pelvis. And this is where you're, you know, when you insert your finger and move over like this, this is what it's going to look like on the inside of the pelvis. I can't, of course, do that with a, a live woman. So in that case, you know, when I was doing that all the time, that's when I realized, gosh, I could really be doing this on video. But the, the main reason why I switched to doing a lot of my work on video is because when women get great results, they talk about it some. And as soon as women start talking about it, they find out that their sister has the same problem or their friend. And that's when women would started saying, well, my sister has this problem, but she lives in Chicago. Can you help her? And I was like, yeah, of course I want to help her. Can you talk about how the medical field generally responds to this issue? They don't respond well. <laughs> that's the short answer. And part of that is because pain with sex and especially lack of sexual pleasure is not seen as a medical problem, especially for women. And this is where it gets down to, it gets down to function. So if a man can't have an erection, you know, erectile dysfunction has been studied for a long time. If a man can't have erection, you can't have sex. Like that's the end of the story, start and finish, right? If a woman is having pain, she may be able to still have sex, right? I hate to say it, but a lot of women use the phrase grin and bear it. I hate that phrase. I wish that they weren't grinning and bearing it, but a woman can still possibly have sex even without pain. And she can certainly have sex without pleasure. A man, you know, not having pleasure is pretty rare. Men do struggle with libido issues sometimes, but men not reaching orgasm is much, much, much less common than women not reaching orgasm. Do you think that helping women enjoy sex and understand their bodies is a priority for the medical profession at large? I think it's not seen as a priority. And I think that there are multiple reasons why. This is actually a really complicated problem. And it's worth talking about because this is why the problem is not getting solved. One of it is lack of time. Simply your physician does not have time to talk to you about it. And that's one of the things I love about physical therapy is I have anywhere between 30 and 60 minutes with a patient. A lot of doctors spend three to six minutes with a patient. So they honestly, the time that they're in the room, they honestly don't have time to talk about it. There's also a lack of reimbursement from insurance issue. And this gets back to not really seeing it as a medical problem. So... If insurance is not going to reimburse for it, are the is the patient willing to pay for it? You know, often not. There's also a lack of education. So again, I have the benefit of having a husband who's an OBGYN. So I know um, the education that he received. And we actually met while he was going through medical 
school and I was going through physical therapy school, we met in a cadaver lab in the same class. Isn't that Ooh, how romantic? <laughs> yes, we took anatomy class in medical school together. And so that's how we met. But so I understand, you know, I knew him throughout that entire time period. And then the additional four years of residency that he went through to become an OBGYN, there is education about pain, only specific aspects of pain, like the hormonal issues or the infection issues, not so much the pelvic floor functioning issues that is not really covered. And so then it becomes the responsibility of the physician themselves to educate themselves on that. And certainly throughout medical school and residency, lack of pleasure, really not discussed. There is some education on lack of desire because that is largely, you know, can be seen as a hormone issue. Although I, I have lots of things to say about desire. I think there, there are so many ways that you can increase desire that have nothing to do with changing your hormones. That's something that I, I coach women on a lot. Another big problem that I think is worth mentioning, there is a cultural problem about talking about sex, right? That's, I'm sure that comes as no surprise, right? We are not a culture that is comfortable talking about sex and especially not problems with sex. If anybody's talking about sex, they might be saying, "Woo, yeah, had a fun time last night, right? But they're not talking about their problems with sex. And the thing is, your doctor grew up in the same culture. So often your doctor is not talk comfortable talking about sex and add to that the fact that they might worry that you're not comfortable talking about it, mm -hmm. right? Are you going to be offended that they bring that up? So there's, there's both sides of that. I actually just recently had a patient who was texting me and she said, I'd like to come in and see you. Um, I'm having some issues with pain with sex and pleasure. Do you deal with both of those? And I said, yes. And she said, that's great. I was just at my OBGYN's office. It was a year postpartum and they said, are you having pain with sex? And when she said, yes, the OBGYN, she's texting me and she said, the OBGYN kind of said, and then she gave me that emoji with your hands up, like what? Huh? And she said, you know, I don't know why she asked me if she was just going to be like, oh, I don't know. That's too bad. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, you know, I wish she had gone a step further. And, you know, it's okay to not know the answer. It is always okay to not know the answer. You just need to know some resources about where to then send the person. I've had patients, a lot of my patients, if they've been having pain with sex, especially I have a lot of patients that have never consummated marriage. So in other words, they get married and they've been waiting to have sex to get married and then they go to have sex and they're like, oh, it doesn't work. You know, it's, it's not, this is a no-go. And so those patients often will go straight to counseling. And I had a patient recently who spent a year and a half going to a sex therapist who was a mental health counselor who talked about you know, her past and her upbringing and all of these issues. And she, I will give her credit. She did um, recommend using dilators. So that's a physical method, but then, you know, just didn't, didn't have the education to say, okay, well, what are we going to do with these dilators? <laughs> like, don't just read the instructions of, well, you just insert one and then insert the larger one and, you know, keep going. Well, if it was that easy, then, you know, she would have been having sex long before a year and a half, right? 
And so then they, they looked up and they did their own research and found me and came in and within one session, they made huge progress. And so that's, that's kind of the benefit of, yeah, yeah, I'll talk about it, but we're also going to work on the physical part. We're going to work on starting to solve that problem today. And so what advice do you have for people who are having pain with sex, just like right off the bat, I, other than come see you, um, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. of course they should, but, um, you know, just in terms of just a first step to take. The first step to take is a lot of people come to me. Sometimes couples come together, but is often just a woman. And often she has not even told her partner about it. So my first advice is communicate, communicate, communicate. And most of the time people really don't know how for a lot of different reasons. And so learning how to communicate is really important. And then the other thing is seeking help, whether it's from a pelvic health physical therapist or coaching or, you know, some way like you should be seeking help and you should be seeing change pretty quickly. I'm not going to say that you would go from being really pain, you know, having really painful sex to really enjoying sex in a couple of weeks, but there should be changes along the way. And that's something that you really want to see. And if you're not getting that, you know, you might not be linked up with the right person. Do you see implications or do they report to you implications in other areas of their lives other than just their sex lives? I have a lot of patients who come in and they might even come in with other problems. Like they're, they're having chronic pelvic pain outside of just, um, having sex or they're having some incontinence issues. And then I'll talk about pain with sex because often those things, uh, are correlated and they'll say, Oh yeah, there was, you can help me with that. Like, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> of course I can help you with that. And they might be very shy about talking about that in the first place, which is one of the one of the reasons why they didn't seek help in the first place. And then when their problems are solved and they realize, oh my gosh, I can have sex with my husband and enjoy it. Like this can actually feel amazing. Then they start becoming advocates for the problem because they're so excited about the change. And it goes from something that they were tolerating to something that they are actually looking forward to they, you know, will start to talk to their friends about it. And they become some of my best referral sources, actually, the people who never wanted to talk about sex in the first place, because then they start talking about it to their friends and their friends are like, oh my gosh, me too. Is there anything else about you or your work that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share? Well, you know, I'm a huge advocate for women seeking help for their problems. I would love to see people connect with me online. So I'm at Dr. Lauren Krigler, like Dr. Lauren Krigler, C-R-I-G-L-E-R on all platforms, but I mostly live on Facebook and Instagram. And I have a Facebook group that I would really like to encourage people to join. So by just by finding me and getting into the Facebook group, you can have candid conversations about sex. It is for women only because I have received feedback for years like, oh, we wish we could have a place where it was just us talking. That's what I would, I would really like to see a more candid conversations and go talk to your friends about it. Be the person who is stepping into the light and not perpetuating shame around the issue by not talking about it. 
I want to extend my sincere thanks to Lauren for helping so many patients step into the light and re-engage their bodies and their sex lives, and for sharing her work with me and with our listeners. If you have a medical experience related to sex or reproductive health care or LGBTQ inclusive health care, I would love to hear about it. Like I said, this is something that listeners have been sharing with me since the show began, and I am down to do more episodes about it. To me, this is all part of the larger conversation about reproductive justice. So let's talk and all help each other step into the light. I also want to thank you for listening, and I hope to see you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and of course, Patreon, where I'll be posting some of the many clips I had to edit out of this awesome interview. Patrons get access to these audio extras, and your support means everything to an independent podcaster. So thank you, patrons. And if you like the show, please consider going to patreon.com and becoming a supporter. As always, our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. Thanks again for listening. Love yourself and love your bonds. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.